Good morning. Now, it's one thing to waste a meal, waste some time, or to waste a dollar here or there. It's entirely another thing to waste your life. Last night, Carla and I uh, watched a, a, a Billy Graham documentary on Netflix. I'd recommend it, and it was, it was really good. But it showed how Billy Graham certainly did not waste his life, preached to more people than anyone in the history of mankind. What will people be saying about you when they look over you at your casket? What we don't want them to say is what a waste. He's wasted a portion or all of his life. There's a story in the Bible where a man wasted a portion of his life. It's a very familiar story. You've heard it many times. You've heard it sermons preached on it many times. So we're going to look again at the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And this is how Jesus begins that story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Let's stop right there. We, we know this story. What a terrible, sad, sad picture. This young man now living with the pigs, longing to eat the pig slop that the, that the pigs were eating. Of course, we know the rest of the story because you've heard so many sermons on it before. The kid comes to his senses. He, he, he realizes that he would be better off at home, even if, he, if that meant that he was a servant at his father's house. Not, no longer a son, but a servant. And so he, he gets himself up and he starts to walk home and he practices his apology all the way home. But when he's a long way off, the Bible says, and Jesus tells him that story, his father sees him and is, and is so happy to see him. He runs and, and grabs him and hugs him and... and, and They celebrate the homecoming of the son. And we love that story, I think, because we can all put ourselves, maybe not to the degree of the prodigal son, but we can all put ourselves in the prodigal's shoes or sandals, as it were. We can imagine how we have gone wayward in the times that we have done things that we wish we wouldn't have done and the times that we have been away from the father. And yet when we've come home, he has embraced us. And, and, and the promise is that he will welcome us home as well when we come to our senses. And so we love that story. And as well we should. But what if the story ended where I ended it? It doesn't. We know the rest of the story. But what if it ended right there? The younger son squandered his inheritance, living with the pigs, wishing to eat the slop that they were eating, and there he died. The story would be a a far different story. We wouldn't love it, not nearly as much. In fact, we we would say, what a waste. Look how that young man wasted his life. And really, he gives us what I would call the, the, the how to waste your life in five easy steps. He followed all five. The first is to think only of yourself. That's what he did. He went to his dad, pops. I, I, I want my inheritance right now. It's a strange thing to say. It's not strange for kids to, to want a loan from their family. My boys would do that all the time. Dad, can I have $5? Can I have $10? The older they got, the more dollars they wanted. I get that. That's not what's strange. That's not what's, what's curious. What's strange is that he says he wants his inheritance. When do you get your inheritance? You get it when the person is dead. That's the only time you get an inheritance. The person has died. 
And yet he goes to his living, very much alive father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. In other words, he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I'll take what's mine. I don't want to wait for later. I want what's mine right here, right now. Obviously, he wasn't thinking of of, of what his father would think about that. He wasn't thinking about, about how his brother would now have to do double the work. He wasn't thinking about the other servants on the, on the property that he's taking half. And so, so their economic uh, uh, situation would be far less. No, his deplorable behavior attitude is selfishness. He was only thinking of himself, not his dad, not his brother, not the servants, not anyone else. It was me, myself, and I. If you want to waste your life, think only of yourself. Think not, don't think about how your actions will affect others. Don't think how, how your attitudes will break the heart of others. Just do what you want to do. Hey, it's a free country. You can do whatever you want. Just think for yourself, only yourself. The world revolves around you. Rationalize your behaviors. Tell yourself that you deserve it. And you will be on the first step to a wasted life. See, those that have a, a, a wonderful life, like a Billy Graham that I watched last night, they give themselves to others. They share themselves with others. But when you're wasting your life, you're only thinking of yourself. The next step in wasting your life is spend too much time doing what you know you shouldn't be doing. Jesus told us the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country. There he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, we don't know exactly how he squandered his wealth. We don't know exactly what a wild living means. But I think it's safe to say that he wasn't going to Bible studies and hanging out in youth group. And this kid, this kid, if you want to waste your life, do the things that you know you shouldn't be doing. Next week on the tagline, I think, on the video, it's going to tell how the average American spends three hours and 35 minutes every day on their phone and how the average American spends five hours and four minutes every day watching TV. And guess how much, just take a wild guess, and how much the average American, according to Barna, spends in prayer. Any guesses? One minute. We pastors, we average five minutes. Woohoo! Listen, spend your life doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing. That's how you waste your life. Now, you don't need me to give you a list. You already know. The Lord is very, very faithful. He'll remind you uh, uh, of, of what you should be doing or where you should be going or where you should be avoiding. You don't need me to tell you that. You already know. So how, how do you waste your life? Well, think the world revolves around you. Think only of yourself. Spend too much time doing things you know you shouldn't be doing. The third thing is pick the wrong friends. Now, now I don't know who the, the prodigal son's friends were, but... But we know in the story, when the older brother is bitter and complaining about the younger son, he says this, but when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you, you kill the fatted calf for him. Now, I don't know if he was spending his... How did the older brother know that? He hadn't seen his brother. Was he just projecting that his, his brother had spent all the money on prostitutes? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But again, we, we can know that if he had good friends... Had he had good friends and he was out wild living, squandering all the money, his good friends would have told him the truth. Hey, you got to slow down. You're headed down the wrong road. You're going to be in real trouble. Good friends would have spoke the truth into his life and not wasted all of his money. And when all of his money was gone, all of those so-called friends were also gone. If you want to waste your life, 
Think only of yourself. Spend too much time doing things you know you shouldn't be doing. Pick the wrong friends. Now, don't hear me say you can only have Christian friends. It's important to have non-Christian friends. It's important to have people that you can invest your life in and point them to Christ. Now's a good time for a commercial. Easter is coming, and you need to be thinking of people that you can pray for and invite to Easter Sunday. That's a really important deal. And and so it's important that we have those relationships with non-Christians. Jesus hung out with sinners. We're told that. But notice this. Jesus didn't get spiritual advice from those people. Jesus didn't go to the, to the publicans, to the, to the prostitutes, and ask them for, for godly wisdom. He had his circle of, inner circle of disciples. He would go to the Father. He, wouldn't go, he was friends, but he wasn't getting advice from those. So if you want to you wanna waste your life, think only of yourself. Do those things you know you shouldn't be doing. Pick the wrong friends. And finally, don't think, don't think number four is don't think about tomorrow. That's how the prodigal son, we're told he squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow never comes. Well, yes, it does. Tomorrow does come. Not only is there a tomorrow, but there's a judgment day that is also coming that we need to prepare for. And those who waste their life, they never think about the future. They don't think about how their living today is going to affect their their tomorrow. They only live for today. So preacher types like me get up and say, one day you're going to die. And they say, oh, brother, of course, one day I'm going to die, but I'm not going to die today, and I'm only living for today. Or preacher types like me get up and say, says, one day you're going to give an account of your life before a holy God. And they say, oh, man, oh, man, not only am I not going to die today, I'm not going to give an account of my life today. And preacher types like me will say, like I said last week, like, you're going to spend a whole lot more time in eternity than you are in this life, so you better prepare for eternity. And they say, ah, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. It's not going to happen today, and I'm only living for today. But the truth of the matter is, there is a day coming when we will stand before a holy God. The Apostle Paul put it this way, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, my point is not to scare you or frighten you, but the reality is we will all stand before a holy God one day and give an account of our actions, of our attitudes, of our words. No one will be exempt. It's not like going to jury duty, and if you have a, 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 an excuse from your doctor or if, or if something comes up that you might be able to squeeze out of it, no one will be exempt. And those who waste their life refuse to think about that day that's coming. Those who spend their life and who make a difference in their life, again, like Billy Graham last night, they always know there's a day coming, a day when I'll have to give an account, a day of reckoning, when I will stand before a holy God and say, what did you do with your life? See, folks wasting their life, they don't prepare. Folks wasting their life think only of themselves. Folks wasting their life do the things they know they shouldn't be doing. Folks wasting their life hang out with the wrong crowd. Folks wasting their life never think about tomorrow. And folks wasting their life live a life that they hate. You want to waste your life? Live a life you hate. Day after day, you hate it. It's, it's, you're in a pit and you hate it. You can't get out and you hate it over and over and over again. The prodigal and his so-called friends spent all of his money And then when his friends were gone and a famine came, Jesus said this. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomachs with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. What a horrible life. This, this guy, remember Jesus is talking to first century listeners. To, to, be feed, to be feeding pigs, to be hanging out with pigs, to be wishing you were eating pig slop, that's rock bottom. You can't get any worse than that. You can't get worse than feeding pigs, hanging out with pigs, surrounded by pigs, longing to have the slop that they are eating. That is rock bottom. Remember in the first century, if you had touched a pig, you couldn't go to the temple. You were considered unclean. It was the worst of the worst. And that's where this guy is. The worst of the worst, the worst possible uh, conclusion. He was living a life that he hated. Now, I've known plenty of people who've gone through life living a life they hated. Maybe it's because of their own choices. Maybe it's because of, of, of someone else's bad choices. Usually it's a little bit of both. Their bad choices, someone else's bad choices. But it's got them to the place where they don't, they don't like their life. And people who, who, don't, who, 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 who waste their life, they don't understand one very important thing. No matter how bad their life has been, no matter how many mistakes they've made, as long as they're living and breathing, they can still change. Jesus said the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose, Jesus' purpose, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I still like the way the King James Version reads that, that passage in John 10, where Jesus says, I have come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. Jesus longs for you to have an abundant life. And Jesus longs for you to have a rich and satisfying life. The life that Satan offers is to steal and, and, and destroy. The life that Jesus offers is one of abundance. You see, people who are wasting their life, they think only of themselves. The world revolves around me. They spend too much time doing things they know they should not be doing. They gather around themselves uh, 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 the wrong crowd, friends that have a similar thought. They'll drag you down. They never think about tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes, and they hate. They eventually, they hate the life they're living. And there are plenty of people like that, not just guys like the, the, the prodigal, not just guys hanging out with the pigs. In fact, I think I could make the case that the, the older brother was also living a life he hated. Remember, he, was, he never left the farm. He was productive. He, was, he worked the farm. He was still there. But you can tell by his attitude that he was living a life that he hated. He was harboring bitterness. He wasn't happy. He couldn't, he couldn't even rejoice when his long-lost brother had come home. Talk about a, a pitiful, pitiful life. He is bitter and carnal people. They, they live a life that they hate. Bitter and carnal people are wasting their lives. Like the older brother. Like the older, like the older brother, like the younger brother, was thinking only of himself, complaining. Woe is me. I'm missing out on all the fun. I gotta be here on the farm. Like, like the younger brother, he spent too much time doing things he shouldn't be doing. Again, complaining, moaning, groaning, uh, 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 becoming a martyr. Oh, look what I gave up. Like the, like the younger brother, I think the older brother picked the wrong friends. We don't know anything about his friends. He, he tells his father that he never got to, to kill the fatted calf and hang out with his friends. Who knows if he even had any friends? A grump like that, he might not have even had any friends, for all we know. He certainly wasn't thinking about tomorrow. 
If he was thinking, if the older brother was thinking about tomorrow, he would have known that there's a day of reckoning coming. He would have known that his brother was lost and gone. He would have rejoiced that his brother finally came to his senses. He was living a life he hated. You see that when, when he's so upset, when he learns that his kid brother is home. And Jesus said the older brother became angry, refused to go in. I'm not going, no way. <laughs> what a baby. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. He's not a slave. He's, it's all going to be his. He's working on his own property. He's, he, it's his. He's not a slave. And I never disobeyed your orders. Let you, you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And then when this son of yours squandered your property with prostitutes, again, we don't know if that's true or not, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Wah, 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 wah. People who are wasting their lives, even when they're being productive, they go through the motions. They hate their life. There's no joy. Listen, there's a better way to live. The first son's actions, of course, were deplorable. The second son's attitudes were deplorable. But in the end, that's not the end of the story. We know the end of the story is the, the son, the younger son, comes to his senses. That's what it says in verse 17. When he came to a sense, when he figured it out, that, that he'd be better off at his dad's place being a servant, when it dawned on him that this is no life to live, when, when he recognized that he tried everything the world had to offer and it came up empty, when he recognized and realized he had made mistakes in his life, big mistakes, and he needed to apologize and say, I'm sorry. When he came to his senses, he got up, went home, saw his father, I hope the older brother came to his senses. We're not told if the older brother ever came to a senses. Here's the deal. God's not going to force you to come to your senses. God may make a, a compelling case, like I think the, the, the father did to that older brother. The father said, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. You're not a slave. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. He's now alive. He was lost. Now he's found. Of course we've got to celebrate. I hope the older brother came to his senses. I, I hope he realized that he had become so embittered that he couldn't see or hear. Do you remember Jesus? He would often say that. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear that your life does not have to be a waste. He who has ears, let him hear that, that God has a better way for you, a better plan for you. He who has ears, let him hear. The good news is that you can always, if you're living and breathing, you can always come back and God will welcome you home. When you come to your senses, God has a better plan. Well, what about for us? Maybe you say that, all oh, that's true, Pastor, and I've seen people who have taken those steps and they've wasted their life. What if that person that you've seen is your son or your daughter, your grandson, your, grand, your parents, your spouse? What, what, what do you do then? Well, let me give you two quick examples. One, one bad, not one good. The first example is from a story that happened oh, long ago, probably 20-some years ago. I got a phone call from a dad who asked if I could go visit his son in the hospital. Um, and that wasn't too strange. You know, people would always call us and say, hey, I got a loved one in the hospital. Uh, can you go and visit them? And that's, you know, that's what pastors do. We go to the hospital, we visit folks. I like making hospital calls, still do. Don't get to do it as much as I used to, but I, I, 
you know, I like going into hospitals and praying with folks. It's wonderful. So this dad called me up to see if I would, would go visit his son. What made that strange is that that guy didn't go to my church. And he was faithful. He went to another church. I didn't know his son from Adam, but I knew his pastor did know his son because that's the church that they went to. And so, you know, I was curious. You know, why, do you, why are you calling me to go visit your son? I, is your pastor sick? Is he out of town? Uh, is he unavailable? And then he told me, well, he told me a lie. But what he told me was, oh, my pastor won't go visit my son. Because my son has AIDS. And he has refused to go visit him. Now, that was not true. It was true that his son had AIDS. And this was, again, this is back probably in the early 90s when, when uh, the AIDS epidemic was, was really raging and when usually the people that, that contracted it were homosexuals or lived a homosexual lifestyle. And so he told me that his pastor wouldn't go. I knew that guy's pastor. That guy's pastor's in heaven now. I saw that guy plenty of times visiting lots of people in the hospital. And I know that guy, that, that, that pastor's heart, and he loved people, and he would, have, he would have gone to visit that kid in a heartbeat. No, what was really going on was that father didn't want to tell his pastor or his church family that his son was dying of AIDS. That they had had a contentious relationship ever since his son came out of the closet, and he got to the point where he couldn't even ask his own pastor or his friends at church to pray for his dying kid. That's what was going on. And so I went, I went, I went to the hospital. In fact, I went several times to visit that young man. And the story has kind of a bad, kind of a good ending. The bad part of the ending is he, he did eventually die of AIDS. I conducted his funeral. The, the funeral was packed out. I was able to preach the gospel to a lot of people who, who normally wouldn't go to church. And I was able to tell them a couple of good newses. One good news is that, that he and his father eventually did reconcile. And the second part of the good news was that, that even more important was that he reconciled with God. And I was able to pray with that young man. And he invited Jesus into his heart. And I, I could stand before that crowd and say that Jesus welcomed him home. And I tell you that story because I, that dad almost waited too late. Because of their relationship, because he wasn't happy, because he was, was upset about some of his son's actions and attitudes and all the rest, he, it was almost too late. We need, to be like the, we need to be like the father. And if we've got a prodigal, we need to go out to the road. We need to, we need to be on our knees. We, got, we can't quit. We've got to keep praying and looking and waiting and expecting God to work a miracle. If he doesn't come home today, maybe it'll be tomorrow. Okay, that's a bad story. Let me tell you the good story. The good story is another parents, they were, they were awakened in the middle of the night. I don't know this family, I just read about it. Awakened in the middle of the night, and you know, phone calls in the middle of the night are never good. Right? You never get a good phone call in the middle of the night telling you to, you know... Yahoo! I just got a million dollars. They don't do that. Phone rings in the middle of the night. It's bad news. They picked up the phone. And on the other end of the line was a girl sobbing. Sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And all that she could get out was, Dad, I'm pregnant. Well, the dad, you know, he's still kind of groggy. He just woke up. 
And he, and he said, honey, I love you. We'll be here for you. And he said, can I pray for you? She was just sobbing. And so he offered a quick prayer. The dad knew he really, she wasn't in any condition to talk at that point. And so, so he said he would talk to her soon, and they hung up. The next morning, the dad got up. And this was, this was before cell phones and texting, really emails. He wrote a letter with real paper and real pen. You can, you can do that. And so he wrote her a letter. And in the letter, he said, he said, your, your mom and I were shocked by the phone call that we received last night. But we want you to know that we love you. And nothing you told us on the phone will stop the fact that we love you. And we will always love you. And we don't know, know all the details, but we know this. God will still work through this situation. And God loves you. And we do too. And he said, and when you come home, you can expect that I will be at the front door and I will greet you with a hug and I will tell you that I love you. He sent it to her. Well, she didn't call that day. And she didn't call the next day. In fact, it was the third day after the middle of the night phone call that she finally called. His daughter called. She'd gotten a letter. And she called. And she said, Dad, I got your letter. I don't know what in the world you're talking about. His daughter hadn't called them. She was in college, yes, but she was not pregnant. She didn't even have a boyfriend. And she, she and the story went on to tell how that, that lady grew and kept that letter. And even after her, her parents had passed, she would continue to go back and read that letter and reread that letter of how her parents loved her. Even, even when they thought that she had, you know, done whatever, that their love was strong and sure. And that's what the article was. But I thought about that girl that made the wrong phone call. No, she dialed the wrong number. And I thought, I wonder if she dialed the wrong number. Or I wonder if the Lord just knew that at that moment, she needed to hear somebody say, I love you. We'll get through this. Can I pray for you? Maybe that's what that girl needed more than anything else. Maybe if she had called her, her real parents at her real home, maybe the response would have been far, far different. And what she needed at that hour was just the loving response of who she thought was her dad. Listen, we may have prodigals in our life. Don't stop calling out to the Heavenly Father on their behalf. Keep it up. The reality is there is a judgment day coming. We don't want anybody to miss it. And so, Lord, help us. Keep us faithful. Love our kids, Lord, even when we can't talk to them. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We know you're faithful, and you're going to do it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.